0: Over the last two years since SSR launched, I've had the chance to chat with lots of book lovers about their most memorable reading experiences from childhood. There are several series that come up all the time. Babysitter's Club, Gossip Girl, Sweet Valley High, Boxcar Children, Harry Potter, Nancy Drew, American Girl, all series that we've revisited on the podcast already. There's another one, though, that 90s kids especially love to name drop to me, and I am so happy to finally have an episode about it for you. It's time to talk Dear America. Dear America. On episode 96, my guest and I are discussing the fifth of the 36 total books published into this series. Each installment is told as a diary written by a young girl living through a different historical period or event in the United States. Book five is called Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie, The Oregon Trail Diary of Hattie Campbell, 1847. I was a kid who was obsessed with all things Oregon Trail, including this book, but you'll just have to wait and see how it held up on this reread. My guest on this episode is Jamalion Perry, and she did not share my obsession with Hattie's diary when she was growing up. In fact, she has a great story about it. Again, you'll have to keep listening to hear it. Over the next hour, you'll also hear us try to figure out whether my obsession with the Oregon Trail was normal or super weird, wonder about access to mental health resources in the 19th century, share our thoughts about the depictions of race relations in Hattie's diary chat about a bunch of 14-year-olds getting married, and discuss just how not cut out for the Oregon Trail we are. Let's just say that both Jamalian and I had a greater appreciation for how rigorous this journey really was for the people who actually did it after reading this book as grown-ups. When I asked Jamalian to send me a bio to share with you for today's episode, she shared so many lovely things, and I thought I would just go ahead and read it to you. I was born and raised in North Carolina, where I currently reside with my fiancé and our golden retriever, Aaron, and our cat, Allie. I work in emergency management, and books have been a vital part of my life since I can remember. If anyone is listening to this and is already following me, the one thing I think they would agree on is that I am an emotional hot mess reader. You can find me crying on a story near you. On a serious note, I would like to say that I advocate for diversity and I like to bring that to people I engage with or who may follow me or I may come across in my day-to-day life. Being different is what makes us all unique. I take pride in being the person that people come to in hopes of sharing parts of themselves they may not feel safe doing in other places. We need more people like that in the world. For me, reading became my safe place. I found comfort in reading stories that depicted characters that looked like me or characters experiencing situations like my own. Thank you so, so much, Jamalion, for sharing that piece of your life with all of us. I'd like to reiterate that Jamalion works in emergency management, and I know I speak for the whole SSR community when I say a big thank you to her and her coworkers for all of their efforts during the crisis we're all experiencing right now. You can follow along with Jamalion's reading journey on Instagram at It's a Bookish World underscore, on Twitter at It's a Bookish World, or on her blog, www.itsabookishworld.com. All of those links will be easily available for you in the show notes for this episode at www.ssrpodcast.com listen episode 96. There are lots of other things available for you to check out at www.ssrpodcast.com. In the show notes for each episode, there are lots of resources and fun extras tied to every book we discuss. You can also click shop to browse SSR bookmarks, tote bags, t-shirts, and stickers you support the podcast with every purchase. And if you tap support at the top of the SSR site, you'll be whisked straight to the Patreon page for the podcast. Patreon supporters contribute a few dollars to the production of the show every month in exchange for special awards, like newsletters, bonus episodes, merch, exclusive voice notes from me, and more. As an independent podcaster, I really rely on these sponsorships to keep SSR growing and evolving. Thank you so much to every patron tuning in now. If you're looking for other ways to support SSR, the best place to start is with a 5-star rating or review on iTunes. Leaving one only takes a few seconds, and it really helps to ensure that the podcast is hitting the radar of as many potential listeners as possible. I appreciate each and every rating and review, and I appreciate you if you've left one. Don't forget to follow along with SSR on social media if you're not already. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. Finally, I'd like to remind you about the awesome things happening over at Libra.fm. If you love listening to audiobooks and have yet to check out this platform, I would highly encourage you to do so, especially at this time when indie booksellers need our support more than ever. When you purchase your audiobooks on Libro.fm, you get to support those booksellers. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers across the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month with code SSRPOD. Right now, I'm listening to Glennon Doyle's Untamed on Libre FM, and I can't say enough good things about it. Highly recommend, especially because I know I'm supporting independent booksellers while I tune in. I feel so lucky to get to partner with Libre FM and to share what they're doing with you every week. Now, let's go to the show. <laughs> freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Jameleon. welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. Today we are talking about book number five in the Hotly requested by my listeners, Dear America series. I'm really excited to talk about this book. This is the Oregon Trail book. Um, The title is Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie, and it was published in 1997. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about why this was your pick, Um, maybe your experience reading either this book from the series or the Dear America series as a whole, Um, just whatever you remember
1: about that part of your reading childhood. So I picked it because I hated it as a child. I remember specifically, and I wish I would have found the book report that I had to write on it but my mom doesn't keep anything um and I remember I read it and I hated it and that was my book report I was like I hate this book and that was it and that was the first F I ever got in school and I just I think as a child I didn't really grasp the concept of what they were doing and why they were doing it didn't make any sense to me like why would you want to walk a long trail like (laughs) I mean it just didn't make any sense um so reading as an adult there are things that stuck out to me that I really just went over my head as a child. And I wanted to see my experience reading it as an adult versus how I read it when I was a child. So that's the reason why I picked it. Well, I love that you
0: opted for a book that you didn't like when you were a kid because <laughs> I actually love when guests do that because either they end up having like a total change of heart and that's kind of a cool conversation Or we just sort of like rail on the book for an hour, which, you know, I never want to hate read a book, but it's kind of fun to have that kind of conversation every now and then. So thank you for like sort of going off the normal path, which is people just like picking their favorite book. I remember reading a lot of the books in this series, I think probably like in later elementary school. I was really into anything that was like a diary style, these books in particular, the first like, editions of them had those beautiful ribbon bookmarks, I remember. Yes, I
1: remember those.
0: And they had those, like, rough-edged pages, so when you went and picked them out, it was, like, this beautiful book. I remember I would get them as gifts, and that was always, like, such a treat. I remember reading this one. I remember there was one about a Jewish girl um, that I really loved reading, because I'm half-Jewish, and so it was always, like, really meaningful to me to find books about Jewish history. And I found a lot of interesting essays and think pieces while I was getting ready to talk to you today about how these books were significant to a lot of millennials, especially millennial women, um, when they were in their like late elementary school and middle school years. So we can get to those, but I think I had a similar relationship. Like they felt very foundational to like my understanding of history and I love that they're obviously like female um, protagonists. We actually recently did an episode about one of the American Girl books on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I want to say I recorded that episode about a month or two ago and that is sort of like a younger version of this. I think the book we read was like 86 pages. This book was like 140. So it almost seems like a natural progression but this book is so much more substantial than the one we read from American Girl. So that was kind of interesting. I was obsessed with the Oregon Trail when I was a kid and um, obviously we had like the Oregon Trail computer game at my school but I was trying to think about like what it is about the Oregon Trail that is so fascinating to kids like was that something that you were interested in separately or not so much
1: No, I was and I was just talking to my fiance before I started. I was like, I don't remember learning about the Oregon Trail in school. And if I did, maybe I wasn't present. But I think for me, I was more drawn to the fact that it was a journal and reading these books got me into journaling when I was when I was a kid. Um, But also I had a fascination with history then. So I think reading something that I knew nothing about was one of the things that drew me to the book. But I don't remember learning anything about the Oregon Trail. Like, I don't remember anything. So I was Googling the Oregon Trail. I was like, oh, it really is a thing. That shocked me because I was like, the trail, why would people go on? I was reading the book. I was like, I would never do this. Like, I mean, there's no AC. (laughs) And I think those are the things. As a kid, I'm like, why don't they have cars? Like, you know, I just never... It never, like, made any sense to me that this is a part of history. People didn't have cars. They actually had wagons. Like, a wagon? What is that? Yeah. And now we purchased a wagon. Like, my mom bought a wagon the other day (laughs) to haul her groceries upstairs in the elevator. But, I mean... It's crazy. I don't think that this kind of book, I don't know, because one of the questions you asked was if it was written in like 2020, like, you know, how different would it be? And I'm trying to think like, what is a 2020 version of the Oregon Trail? Mm. I always wonder sort of how history curriculum
0: changes over time. And so like, you have to wonder, we learned about the Oregon Trail a bit when I was in school. I think a lot of it was driven by like the Oregon Trail video game. And so a lot of people were just into it. But I wonder how much the Oregon Trail is covered now versus something that maybe took place like 20 or 30 years later that like wasn't as emphasized when you or I was a student. I don't know, it's interesting like what types of history maybe authors and teachers are like focusing on more for kids over time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if a kid's author would like prioritize the Oregon Trail as, like, one of the main historical moments to explore because there were a lot of books in the series, and this was number five. So they, like, went – they went in on this relatively soon. And I wonder if kids in 2020, like, are even aware of it or if it would be interesting to them. Like, to your point, would they even be able to compute it if teachers aren't really even touching on it at all anymore?
1: Yeah. I asked, like, a couple of, like, my um, relatives who were, like, a lot younger than me, and I'm like, you know, what did you talk about in history class? Have you ever heard the Oregon Trail? And they all said no. So I'm like, is this something that – you know, different like places in the world like they teach. Like, you know, I remember we, we learned about, you know, the Holocaust and, you know, um slavery, but I don't remember any subjects on the Oregon Trail and I wonder if it's just something that is specific to a certain like, you know, area of the world, you know, like where did you grow up? I grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay. So no you were in Oregon, so <laughs>
0: Yeah, maybe it is regional. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. But, like, but then now that you say that, I'm like, did I learn about this in school or was it because of a book like this? I mean, yeah. I just remember wanting to read a lot about it. So who knows? Maybe I read this book and was fascinated by it and then took it upon myself to, like, go find other books like it. It's sort of a chicken or the egg situation. Like, I don't really know where it started. But I loved to write stories when I was a kid. And I wrote, like, so many stories about the Oregon Trail. But I think the thing that I loved the best about it was, like, you know, we see scenes of it in this book where, like, they're preparing and they're, like, loading the wagons. And I was just, like, I thought it was really cool when authors, like, listed all the stuff that they packed and, I don't know, just, like, thinking about what was essential to these families. And I, like, I latched on to certain Words and I, so much so that I could even remember them when I was reading rereading this book again. Like I don't know words like muslin dresses and like <laughs> like chests like linen chests and um, just stuff like that. Like it it's has stuck in my head and I just like loved writing about that stuff. And I was probably plagiarizing without knowing some of these things because I was like these are fun to write about. Let me just write this list down. And I loved having characters named Ma and Pa. Like I remember being very into that. Uh, I don't I don't know why I loved it so much but it's interesting that you were less interested I mean I was potentially just a weird kid who like thought that this was super cool I don't know (laughs)
1: um no definitely I think that you know um my best friend who I went to school with she loved these series and you know she loved this book and we were talking about it and I was like yeah I didn't get any of what you got from this book like it wasn't one of those books that I was like oh my god I loved you know like I picked up Harry Potter in, like, middle school, and I absolutely loved it. I could read it over and over again. These are one of those books where I've read it twice in my life, and I'm fine. You're good. Like, if my children decide that if they want to read it, then I won't read it with them. But, you know, hey, you can have your own experience. But this wasn't one of those books that just, like, encompassed me in the way that I love books to encompass me, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think it's very informative. And so I think, like, if you are a parent, or I would imagine I don't have kids, but I think in terms of, like, being an educational resource, like— I think it's pretty comprehensive because you have not only the like 140 pages of the diary and then there's a couple of other pages of like historical notes and there's diagrams and like more context for what the story is about. So I think that's cool um, and it does seem to cover a lot of bases sort of from a history perspective. Out of curiosity, are you somebody who reads a lot of historical fiction now? Because I'm always fascinated by that. Like, when I talk to people on the podcast, how maybe their reading tastes have developed based on what they did or didn't like as a kid. Do you read his historical books now?
1: No. I mean, I will I will pick one up every now and again, but it's not a genre that I gravitate towards. And and Which is funny because I love history. But when I look back at what I liked reading as a child versus what I like now— I went through a phase of where it was all fantasy and I like fantasy now, but I'm more so into like suspense and horror and some romance. I don't like gushy romance. Like, I mean, tragic romance. Like I like to cry. I'm a very emotional reader. So I like to be very like on edge or I'm crying. There's like no in between, but hysterical fiction is not one of those genres that, you know, I absolutely am in love with. I've read a couple books and I'm like, "Mm, okay, I like it more so for the information part. But as far as my, reading journey, it doesn't really do much for me. Like I, there's no emotions attached. And I like for my emotions to be present when I read, because I just think that for me, I started reading because I was missing, what's the best way to describe it? I was missing certain emotions because there were certain things in my life that I just, I couldn't attach to, you know, like ideally like my, my relationship with my father. So because it was lacking, I dove into books where there was a father figure mm-hmm. and it made me feel close to having a father figure. So when I started reading, it was to fill a void and then I fell in love with reading. So it was just, I would just immerse myself in all these books and this series of books, you know, I love because one, the aesthetic of the book itself. Um, and two, it was just these girls lived a different life than I did. And while it was hard to kind of relate to in certain aspects Like Hattie, I feel like was me as a 13 year old, you know, she was very sassy. She was very, you know, aware of her surroundings, but there were certain things about her experience as a 13 year old that I could just never, I couldn't put myself in her shoes. You know, like I couldn't be a 13 year old who was obsessed about having a husband. Like at 13, I wasn't thinking about boys. Yeah. No, like 13, I wanted to be at recess and I don't know. I don't know what I did at 13. But, what's interesting about a husband,
0: and you didn't have a best friend who had a husband? <laughs> no <laughs> definitely not that part of it so went over my head when I was a kid reading this book. like so we're jumping around, and I don't really care because I do have a lot to say about this book. Hattie is our main character, and she meets his best friend on the trail named Pepper, and Pepper is fourteen. And about, I don't know, a third of the way through the book, Pepper confides in Hattie that this boy who is traveling with them, Gideon, who I think is 17 or 18, asked her to marry him. And I was like, oh, lol, like, that's cute. They must have just been having this sort of, like, teasing conversation. And a page later, it's like all of the women who they're traveling with are planning a wedding for them and, like, (laughs) compiling gifts. And I was like, oh, no, this is real. Like, (laughs) no, no, they're, like, actually getting married. (laughs) And then by the end of the book, she's pregnant. So I think what's interesting about these books is that there's a part of me that's, like, it's sort of neat and gives you a cool sense of perspective that like even in these times that feel so far removed from our own and scary and stressful I mean our own times right now especially are very scary and stressful but like you know in 1847 when this book is set these people are facing like a whole range of dangers that we aren't familiar with and for me it's kind of refreshing to see like oh but as a 13 year old girl you You still are like worried about whether or not boys like you and you still want to feel good about yourself and you're still kind of insecure. You know, I certainly did not feel that way to the degree that Hattie does because she has people around her who are actually getting married um but there's a part of me that's like okay it's kind of cool to see that some of those concerns are timeless like you're gonna be nervous about those things no matter what time in history you're living but to your point it also is it's when it gets when the stakes get higher like in this book where it's not just that she wants to have a crush on a boy but she like wants to know what it's like to be married it gets a little bit harder to relate to yeah
1: um
0: one of the things that I found that was interesting in an article in The Atlantic. Um, it's an essay written by one of the editors there who tells a story about she, I guess, went to school very close to um, where the Twin Towers were. And um, she opens this piece talking about how the day of, well, on 9-11, she was sitting in class and her teacher was reading them a book called Mrs. Piggle Wiggle when the towers went down. Um, and she remembers that moment very clearly. And she says that as she grew older a year or two after that she started reading Dear America and she really preferred the books that put the characters in a sort of a single moment of fear that kind of mirrored what it was like for her at 9-11. She actually says that the Oregon Trail book is like her least favorite because it's more of like a dragged on journey instead of like a single scary devastating moment but she found that those other books really like spoke to her as a kid that was really like smack in the middle of a very monumental event in history so I thought that was kind of interesting um the book was ranked number 12 on Bustle's like list of I don't know the definitive ranking of Dear America books I again as a kid who like was weirdly obsessed with the Oregon Trail I was like this has to be everyone's favorite and I guess it wasn't <laughs> my bad um yeah. but let's talk a little bit about your first impressions of Hattie and her family when the book opens they're still in Missouri as it's spelled and said and sort of feel like the path that they take to start the Oregon Trail is a little wacky um, Uh, Her uncle dies and uh, his coffin falls over into the water and there's like a river steamboat that somehow gets involved and the steamboat pilot is like, you know what, (laughs) sorry about that. How about I'll just take you to wherever you want to go and we'll be square. And so that's how they get to sort of like the kickoff point of the Oregon Trail. So interesting, sort of like a creative way to get there, I guess. There are many routes to the same destination, yeah. I suppose. <laughs>
1: what were your first uh, impressions of Hattie as a character and her family? I immediately, I mean... I I liked Hattie. You know, Hattie, I love a sassy character. Um, and her family, I think, you know, her mom was one of the characters that when I read as a child, I just really, I didn't like her mom. And because the scene where, you know, Pa says that, you know, they're going to the Oregon Trail, they're going to live, live in Oregon. And she um, told Hattie that she has, you know, she's, afraid to leave, like, you know, her dead sisters. And I thought that was just so insensitive. I'm like, because in my head as a child, I'm like, oh, you're moving. You're going to the organ child. It's going to be adventure. Like, why don't you want to go? It didn't dawn on me that, you know, death is something that not a lot of people handle the same, you know, like for Pa, it could be, you know, this is a new opportunity for our family. And Ma, now, as an adult, I read it and it's sad, you know, like, these are my children that I've all lost and they're here at our home and now you're taking me away. And that that part kind of like hit like my heart and I kind of like teared up a little bit because in this time where we live in now, where people's families are dying, we can't have funerals. So there is no closure. Um, And so that part really stuck out to me in the beginning. Now, as far as like the uncle dying and that whole part, that just, it seems so dramatic to me. It's like he falls off the wagon and then Pa gets the coffin and then he gets swept in the water and then like the coffin is gone and uncle is gone. And it's like, oh, now we're moving. That just seems so dramatic. For me, I would have liked it a little better if the uncle dying was like the cause, you know, of people saying, okay, well, you know what? We have so many hard memories here. Let's just move and relocate somewhere else like the whole dramatic of how the funeral happened or did not happen was a little too much for me but it's just a tipping point or the starting point of all the horrific things that happen along the way from them to get from missouri to oregon because there's a lot of like tragic deaths that happen like countless and I don't remember any of these as a child like the coffin situation I remember but everything that happened once they were on the child uh, on the trail like the nine-year-old getting shot in the neck I didn't remember that at all and so I read it and I was like well why are children having guns but then again I think back in that time that was normal yeah now yeah now
0: obviously we're like oh that's just stupid all around I think that I actually really like your your sort of pitch about what maybe would have been a more interesting way to, like, flow from the uncle's death to the journey. Like, I think that in some ways, like, the, the whole progression of, like, the coffin falling off the wet, you know, the water, the coffin, all those things. It felt a little slapsticky almost. Like, I don't know, it was very cinematic. And it just I don't know, it was like anything that can go wrong will. Yeah. I don't know. And it seemed sort of silly. I actually think what you said makes a lot of sense. And it it did sort of set the stage for my like overarching feeling about this book, which was just that it's like a relentless list of things that can go wrong and just like ever-present danger and ever-present risk and sort of like knowing what I know about the Oregon Trail, like you expect people are probably going to get sick, you know, Mm -hmm. people might fall off into the water, but like you said, you know, kids having guns and accidentally shooting each other in the neck or like accidentally shooting an ox in the neck so that there's one less animal to pull the families along. Those are things that you don't think about as much, and so I will say that like the whole wild... Thing that happened around the uncle's funeral sort of set the stage for that, but yeah, I mean, I it was a little confusing actually. I was like, I still don't quite understand why the steamboat captain is letting you guys hitch a ride, but whatever. Yeah. The, the dynamic between the parents I thought was kind of interesting and like very relatable in some ways. Um, you know, you have this very like romantic, optimistic kind of idealist. Dad, you have to believe that these people are like pretty young. Um, I mean, if Hattie's yeah. friend is pregnant for the first time at fourteen, and you know all of these people on the trail seem to have lots and lots of children, you have to believe it's these like two pretty young parents, or at least young by like today's mainstream standards. And this, I don't know. I picture her parents being like both very attractive, and the dad being very romantic with these big ideas about getting away from Missouri, which I guess they have very high taxes, and every summer everybody gets swamp fever. And that's to your point about the sisters. I believe all three of her sisters died of swamp fever and they're now buried near their house so he wants to get like away from all of that and it just seems like he's very interested in like the wide open spaces that are promised out west and the mom doesn't want to go and I think that a lot of kids see their parents have these sort of fundamental disagreements that they're not necessarily Mm -hmm. able to get over very quickly and we see that throughout the book it's sort of like a prevailing theme where at every turn ma Is like, no, we should just stay here. Like, let's not go any further. We're good. Like, this is kind of a nice place. People are happy. Let's, like, not go any further and potentially have other problems. And the dad is just like, no, like, trust me. This is going to be my last great adventure. And at one point, he says something along the lines of, like, I've had too many other goals not seen through. Like, this is my last shot, Um, which I thought sort of was interesting context for the kind of guy he is. Like, I wonder what other dreams he hasn't been able to fulfill. But I don't know. I felt like I could sort of picture their dynamic throughout the book. Like, from a 13-year-old's perspective where, like, you see that your mom is unhappy all the time. You know, you see all these other adults dancing with each other every night. Hattie's mom never dances. She's just kind of trying to, like, get through the day, keep her children alive. And uh, I don't know, I also think anybody who's ever been in a long-term relationship of any sort, like, that's relatable to me as an adult. Like there are some things that you, there's no way to get out of those disagreements, but to just push through them. And so I felt for her mom in a different way this time around.
1: Yeah. One thing that still got to me, I don't know what part of the book it was. It was when they made it to Oregon and Hattie, um, made a comment about how her, it was when the mom started dancing with the father and she was like, I can tell we're in Oregon now. And that was kind of like a sweet moment um, that after all these trials and tribulations, we're here now and everything is like, okay, as it can be.
0: Yeah. It's finally like, okay, you know, we've been through this journey together as a family and people are back on track and hopefully things will be better. Yeah. I also love, you know, there's always sort of baked into these books, whether it's Dear America or another kind of like diary series, there's always the premise of like I am now going to record my part of history, and there's always I find there's always kind of like a story behind that, and we do mm-hmm. get that in this book. The diary that Hattie is writing and was gifted to her by her aunt June, who seems to be like her favorite adult in the world, and I liked what. June said to her, she said, Aunt June says I must record things daily, the good and the bad, because this will be the adventure of my lifetime. She also says to her, Hattie, whether you realize it or not, we will be part of history. And I I love that young readers are getting a sense of that in books like this. It sounds like it inspired you to keep a diary, which I love. Did you keep a diary for a very long time as a kid? I always tried and I never, I failed
1: every time. I started when I was probably in like the fifth grade and I kept one up until I was like, senior in high school and there was at one point where I had stopped for like maybe a couple months because it was those diaries that had the lock and I I always wanted one and my mom ended up getting one for Christmas and then my sister broke the lock and she read my journal she read it and like she was telling all my secrets and I was like oh you are now my arch enemy and then I stopped for a while and then I started up again but then in that journal I witnessed like a young boy get hit by a truck on his way to the um, bus stop and that kind of started my journey of writing so my journal but then became like just a book of poetry and so that was my way of journaling instead of journaling every day i was journaling my emotions through poetry and it helped throughout high school was high school sucked. those four years were like a disaster yeah. trying to figure out how to be a teenager with other teenagers it was just a hot mess so that jur- those journals for those four years were i looked i looked back at those a couple days ago and i was like those are problems that are not even problems you know everything seems so massive when you're 14 or fifteen and you know, oh someone doesn't like you and oh you got into a fight with your best friend. Those things are so trivial. The things that I thought were so important then and I look back now and I'm like, Girlfriend, you didn't even live yet.
0: <laughs> you have no idea. I wish I had <laughs> I wish I had diaries because I don't have anything written down. But sometimes I think back and I'm like, I was stressed all the time in high school. For and I don't know why. Like I, I really <laughs> attached myself. I was like, oh I'm like such a stressed teen and I, <laughs> I don't know why. Like the fact that my 15 year old friends and I were talking to each other about our stress is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It's, it's offensive to me as an adult that I behaved that way. Um, so I'm kind of jealous that you have those to look back on now, because if I had those, I would be so angry with myself. Like get a grip. It's crazy but I'm you know I
1: there was one where I did this it was like six pages long about how I didn't agree with the fact that like I was obsessed with my grades so if I got anything below a b plus I was just butthurt about it like Same. completely just like so destroyed and I remember my English teacher we wrote a book and it was I mean not a book I mean a, a paper and he gave me like an A minus, and it was one of those papers where you work so hard on it, you just believe that you should deserve an A. And I wrote about how he just wasn't listening to me, how horrible of an adult he was. And I'm like, that's not even anything that you should be stressed about. I mean, you have an A in the class, like an A minus, like, are you, <laughs> like, why are you so? I, it, it was a rough time. I even wrote about how I went to my therapist, and I was like, hey, like, I don't like this little girl. I, I think I want to drop out of high school because I just, I can't even move forward. And I'm just like, it wasn't even that serious. Yeah. Was well, um, amazing you have a record
0: I, of that. Like, that's very cool. I never let those go. It's
1: embarrassing the things that are in those journals. I was like, I hope no one ever finds these because I'm going to burn them one day because it's just like, <laughs> it's one of those things like if I went to ever get famous and someone found these journals and they leaked it, I would just not ever come out of my house. Well, your
0: secrets <laughs> are safe with me. I, you know, if you do get famous, I will not be the one to direct the paparazzi and the journalists to the diaries that you have in your house. That's, I promise, that won't be, a, that won't be my doing. I think what's interesting too is like, but these diary books, and I don't know if you read a lot of them when you were a kid. I think you said you did. Like, yeah. there's such a range. Like, some of them were, are so informal. Like, I remember some of them had doodles in them um, or different kinds of illustrations. Some of them are written in really, like, informal language. This book is written pretty formally. Um, the writing is yeah. actually really good, I thought. Like, especially the descriptions of their journey. It's pretty beautiful. But there are moments where Hattie feels much more like a 13-year-old. Like, there, there's one part where there's just, like, X's all across the page, and it's because <laughs> she was, like, writing... Writing down a dirty joke that one of the boys had been telling them on the trail, <laughs> and she was like, Oh no, like my parent just walked by. I'm just I X it all out, it's fine. And then um, early in the book, just before they start, she's writing down the things that she's most afraid of, which I thought was also yeah. a nod to the fact that she's young. She says, the only four things she's afraid of are number one Indians, number two, copperhead snakes, number three, a toothache, and number four, losing my little brothers, Ben and Jake. They're all I got now. And that ends up being pretty important too, because I think like later on she compares the new things that she's afraid of and it's Mm -hmm. a very explicit demonstration of like the personal growth that she's gone through because she's really not afraid at all of those things in the way that she was before and I want to talk a little bit about her experience with the people that you know they in their time referred to as Indians, because we have read several books for the podcast, Little House on the Prairie being one of them, um, Island of the Blue Dolphins, The Birch Bark House, that talk about Indigenous people, um, and those books have done that to you know degrees of success, degrees of being problematic. And I actually thought that this was a really well done picture of that relationship between white settlers and and the Indigenous people that were already living there, because I felt like it didn't ignore the historical truth, which is that very. very. Very unfortunately, white settlers were prejudiced against the people that they referred to as Indians while they were making these kinds of moves west. I mean, it would have been, it, w- it would have felt so fake for Hattie to walk into this journey being like, I can't wait to meet the Indians. Like that would have felt very yeah, disingenuous. Yeah, yeah. But she does kind of come to an understanding at the end of the book where she says that all people are complicated. She's like, you know, just like white people, I see that there are some Indian people who seem really nice and generous and there are some Indian people that are thieves and liars. And she actually has a white woman within her very circle who's proven herself to be a thief and a liar. So I thought the author did a really great job of balancing, like, the historical truth of what that tension would have looked like with Hattie's, like, really sort of healthy intellectual progression where she realizes that it's not really anything to be afraid of to meet people who are different than you are. She still has a healthy, like, sense of danger about new people in general, but I think she comes around in a way that I'm sort of, like, comfortable kids reading about. What did you think about that?
1: I agree, especially um, with the age range that a kid would read this book. I think that was very important. And I like the way that I don't remember this as reading this as a child. And even if I did, I don't think that would have clicked in my head. But reading as an adult, I like the way that she tied it all up, especially with the fact that there's a difference in like culture and color. And, you know, I remember reading a lot of books, like we had to read, um, I can't think of the name of the book. It was a book about slavery. And I remember all of the African-American kids coming to school and they were so angry at all their, their white friends. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like it was a book that I understood that, you know, this was a part of history. You know, I can't blame every white person that I see for something that, Ancestors centuries ago have done, you know. And I like the fact that you know the start of the book Hattie's afraid of you know the indigenous, and by the end of the book she realizes. For a thirteen year old, anyway, I think that's very like you don't see kids today. I, kids today aren't as mature as I think Hattie was at the end of the book. You know, you know, she's like you know people are different and that is okay. Like not, not every Indian is going to be a bad person, and I think if a lot of people had that mentality today. You know, there wouldn't be a lot of hatred in the world, and i I just thought that that was a good nod to acceptance if that makes any sense.
0: no, it totally does, and I think what she doesn't state outright, but what's important is, as you said, you know, she realizes like not all Indian people are bad, but also not all white people are good. Um, yeah. and the author doesn't say that straight out, but we see that throughout the book, like there are people who are part of this new community that Hattie's part of who are not necessarily good and kind and generous the way that she thought they might be so I think just for kids to see like a wide range of sort of like morality in all of the characters in this book is really important and also teaches Hattie a great lesson which is that like there are people who can't be trusted no matter what color their skin is Um, Mm -hmm. you always have to be cautious like everybody comes with their story and you can't ever sort of imagine what's brought somebody to where they are now Mrs. Kanker is a great example of that and she's the white Person who proves herself to be very dishonest. And I think that's an important part of Hattie's just like learning process of like, from the outside, she seems like she should be somebody I should trust. Like, she's white and seems nice. She's like this older woman who I thought it was funny that she's like, she's old. She's 50. (laughs) Like, my parents are almost 60. Um, And they don't (laughs) seem old to me. She's this old woman and she seems so sweet and meek and nice, but she's not. She has a lot of things going on under the surface and she is stealing from everybody on the trail. But that also comes from a place of deep hurt because she lost her whole family and all of her belongings. So I think the other lesson that Hattie learned throughout this is that, like, people are way more complicated than we sometimes give them credit for. Mm -hmm. Our feelings are sometimes a lot more complicated than we give them credit for. And I think, like, I think the most successful kid books or children's books or YA books sort of, like, show readers that, like, it's okay for things not to be straightforward. Like, it's okay for your parents to... Fight with each other, but also be like wonderful people who love each other. It's okay for you to be excited about an adventure, but also to sort of be miserable in the process. It's okay for your previous beliefs about like humankind and what good and evil look like to change. Um, And I thought without sort of coming off too like preachy or moral, the author of this book does a pretty good job of that.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So you talked a
0: little bit when we first started talking about just like the brutal nature. Of this journey. And I have the same feelings. And I didn't appreciate it at all as a kid. Like mm-hmm. as a kid it does feel a little bit more like an adventure. You're reading things like I'm getting bit by mosquitoes. And I'm hot and tired. And my shoes are worn through. And you're like okay. You're like I'm just going to keep reading. But as an adult I was like this is so punishing. I mean there is... There's nothing fun about this. Could you share a little bit more about that? Maybe the parts that surprise you or the parts that seemed especially miserable?
1: Well, I think the whole journey was miserable. I think that the fact that they could find like, you know, camaraderie along the way was a nice touch for me. But just, you know, the dust and, you know, she said she walked for like six hours. I'm like, I cannot imagine walking for six hours. Like I walk a mile and I'm like, oh my God, I'm over it. But just being in... Miserable like weather At heat And they had to get To the mountain Before winter And I'm like Well oh my god What would have happened If winter would have came And they were still On this journey And then the deaths Like a kid got trampled I mean somebody got bit By a rattlesnake I can't even I can't even fathom doing that today. Like, I walk my dog, and I see a bee, and I'm like, that's it. I'm over it, you know? Like, I can't imagine being a child having to walk. And you don't have the proper shoes. You don't have the proper clothes, you know? Like, you're literally in your same clothes, like, for days in and days out. Like, I was reading the book, and I was like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Like, the skeeter cake, there's no way I could eat pancakes with, like, mosquitoes in. Like, I just, I would love to... Like, I would love to see a, like, an after, like, Hattie's, like, afterthought of the whole entire journey. Like, you know, hey, I made it to Oregon, like, a couple years later, and, like, this is my life now. And, like, her talking about what she was thinking the whole entire journey. Like, was it worth it for her, you know? Was she, you know, happy that, you know, her pa made them do this? Like, you know, or would she do it again? No, she probably wouldn't do it again, but, like, no one would want to do it again. But, like, would she do it again? Like, you know, like, does she miss, like, home? Missouri or you know is Oregon like the place where it's everything she's dreamed of you know Um, I just could not imagine having to go through what they did and people seeing so much death I mean there's like countless accounts of people dying and seeing that witnessing that as a child like you know the guy Mrs. I call her in my notes I call her the klepto her husband like fell off the um he, he, he couldn't do it anymore so he just walked off the cliff like you know like I can't imagine seeing that as a child and like how to process that like you know like was she affected by it or was it just another another day for her
0: yeah I mean the author of this book pulls no punches like it's all laid out in this book and some of the essays and stuff that I was reading from people who loved the books when they were growing up were talking about how like it was really nice and refreshing to feel like you were being told the truth about a historical period I mean for me the fact that she fairly, like, explicitly describes a scene in which a man throws himself off a cliff. That's heavy. That's, really very heavy stuff. I read this book yeah. when I was probably nine or ten, and it fully went over my head. Like, I don't think I realized what was really going on there. Um, but there's, like, even a subtle nod to mental health there. At the beginning of the next chapter, I, I believe, is something about, like, you know, Pa said that he probably was going mad a little bit at a time every day. Um, yeah. And I think that's sort of a nod to the fact that the klepto and her husband had gone through this tragedy back in Mazora. They're had burned down they lost everything they owned their sons were killed and he like was doing his best to get through every day on the trail but like it's hard even under good circumstances even if you haven't endured that kind of a tragedy so if anything I kind of wish as an adult that they'd explored that part of it a little bit more but I guess the fact that the author was like brave enough to be honest about the fact that it happened period is a pretty big deal uh for me it was like all the mosquito stuff I really <laughs> do not i hate that I mean nobody likes the feeling of like having bug bites but I have, like, a very low tolerance for anything, like, skin-related. I hate it. Like, one mosquito bite will drive me nuts for weeks. (laughs) And uh, just thinking that the reality for them was that they were— I mean, they were covered in so many mosquito bites that their arms were bleeding through their clothes. And I just didn't have an appreciation for that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And, like— I don't think when I read this when I was little, I realized like they were one outfit the whole time. That's crazy. And it's not crazy because that's what their reality was. But sitting where we are in 2020 and, you know, in a privileged country for the most part where like we get clothes to change into and we can put on a fresh set of underwear or a fresh set of socks, like that feels so mind-blowing. And so even like just the baseline level of misery and discomfort hit me at a level that it didn't when I was a kid there's a moment where she says like I'm tired of being smelly I'm tired of being dirty and she goes into the wagon and she pulls out like the dress that she was supposed to save before until they got to Oregon and I loved that scene because she puts it on she like just trying to get the knots out of her hair and she was worried that her mom was going to be mad but her mom comes in and is like actually really nice about it she's like let me help you with your hair and I loved that scene I thought it was like so heartbreaking but so nice
1: one thing about you touched on like mental health one thing that i often wonder and i wrote a question about in my notes was in that time when mental health wasn't probably even talked about or even a a known thing how did they really work through those issues you know like was it just oh he's mad she's mad and that was the end of it or how did they function when they were having these feelings that they probably didn't know what to tie it to you know like At, you know, any point, you know, they were anxious about something, you know, they know they had anxiety or, you know, like, what was the cause of it? Like, you know, I just wonder, I can't imagine being in a time where I didn't have the resources that I need for my anxiety or like my OCD or something like, I think that that would drive me crazy. And I wonder if a lot of suicides that may have happened during this time, was it linked to a mental illness or was it just out of pure frustration or, you know, whatever. That was just a question I had.
0: I think that's a great question and a great point. And it's sad to think about because it's not necessarily that humans have changed so much that these mental health issues that we talk about so openly today are new. Like depression, anxiety, all of those things have not been invented in the last 10 years. It's just that we now talk about them more and we're more comfortable sharing that we're taking advantage of the resources to help them. Like That's that's the only part that's new. And so you have to believe that these people were dealing with anxiety and depression, OCD, all of those things and more. And you know, like, Ma was probably depressed. Like, she didn't want to leave her home. She's perpetually angry with her husband. She's uncomfortable. She's dirty. She's tired. She's putting her children in danger every day. I, I guess all that they had to do was just like keep going because they didn't know another way but that's so sad to think about like the fact that these people didn't know that there are things that someday in the long long off future things be developed to support them when they are feeling that way I don't know it's sad to think about yeah I was also thinking like riding in the wagon must have been so miserable if walking was the preferred alternative
1: I couldn't imagine because June ends up pregnant. I could not imagine being pregnant riding in a wagon for as long as they were on the trail. I hate going over speed bumps or potholes, so I can't imagine being in a wagon and you don't really—it's ha- not comfortable. Like that's twice as miserable as I believe walking. I would rather walk than be in a wagon and not have the space to actually be comfortable during the wagon ride. Like you're back there with like all your belongings. There's food. Like at one point, Mom was like trying to stir the uh, wagon out of I think uh, it was like the river or something. And um, Patty got covered in flour and it was flour in her hair. Like I can't be bothered. Like I just can't. There's certain things I just when I do, they probably would have had to drop me off somewhere before you. <laughs> I got to Oregon because, like, you know, you're complaining way too much. <laughs> Write me a letter.
0: I mean, there <laughs> were a bunch of spots where I was like, I think Ma might be right. Like, Pa, I think you're cool. Like, I dig your adventurous spirit. But, like, I think maybe Ma's right and you should just hang out here because it seems super yeah. nice. Like, I don't yeah. know. It was hard to picture what these trails looked like, but it seems as though like there were people that sort, just sort of stopped at various spots and like settled along the way. And I didn't really blame Ma for thinking that that was a good idea. Like I'm good. I'm good
1: here. I'll stop. Thanks. Yeah. One thing I wondered was how did these people were there? General stores like how did I guess when they got to Oregon? How did they? I know that they left Missouri with money but like what was the price of a house like where do you go to get the materials to build the house or do you have to go cut down a tree or how like when you get there where's your home yeah I think I wanted a little more clarification about that just because I'm nosy and I like to know like how things and why things are the way they are and when they got there was like oh we're here now but like how did you get a home like did you build it yourself or did you have to pay a builder like What happens?
0: Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that, too, because I think she was like, yeah, Pa is going to buy a plot of land. But, like, A, from who? (laughs) Because I thought that kind of the whole point of doing this was because it's, like, wide open spaces. So, like, who owns the land. Who owns it? Where do you go to buy it? Is there like an, an yeah. office? Um, so yeah, I thought that generally like the ending of it was sort of anticlimactic. I don't know. I was page, we all of a sudden we went from like the moment where they saw the Blue Mountains, which were like, you mm-hmm. know, the signal that they're almost there. And they were so relieved because they'd gotten through before winter got really bad. But I thought there was going to be like a few more pages of like the struggle from, you know, that moment until, like, the moment they actually, like, pull up to their final destination. But it happens really quick, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, we're here. That's great. I actually, like, turned back a couple times, because I was like, did I miss it? Like, did I miss the moment that they got there? Because there was so much, I, I felt like there was so much detail about, like, every other place they went and every other step of the way, which was great. And obviously, like, what builds the anticipation for them to actually get to Oregon but I felt like the end was sort of I don't know the the end was a little bit of a letdown as much of an adventure as like the rest of the book was I kind of wanted a little bit more with that final section
1: yeah now I would have to say I like the epilogue more than I like majority of the book really because it kind of gives you a it kind of gives you not a happy ending because they didn't really touch on it but Hattie you know she marries um Wade, but she can't have babies, you know? So, like, that's another layer of, you know, a disappointment for Hattie that we don't really get to explore because, you know, that's the end. But Pepper, she's still with Gideon. They have, like, eight kids, you know? Um, So, it was kind of like a little after, you know, we've gotten here and this is what our life is now. So, it was kind of like the little cherry on top, but I agree with you, the ending I wanted more, and I was kind of disappointed that I didn't get it. Um, and there's no sequel, so it's a bummer. I thought the epilogue was good. It was so detailed. Like, I actually,
0: the, the the note that you mentioned about how the author goes out of her way to mention that Hattie ended up with Wade but couldn't have children, and they, they ended up adopting babies that had been born on the trail, I believe. I actually made a note in the margin next to that line that was like, wow, the author really thought through this. A lot. And I wonder what the significance of that particular point was because it's like, like you said, there's not a sequel. We don't really know sort of how that all plays out. We don't know. I mean, I, I don't. And as a kid reader, like, you can't really wrap your head around what that looks like anyway. You know, as a 10 or 11-year-old reading this, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I wonder what their infertility struggle looked like. That's not something that was at all on my radar. But it was clearly something that the author, like, put thought into mentioning in the epilogue. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. I wonder if maybe, like, the author had some sort of a personal experience that she wanted to have reflected in the book. And I like the epilogue, too. It's been a long time since I read a book with that kind of an epilogue, where it does sort of seem like every single storyline gets tied up. There are a lot of happy endings. I mean, Pepper and Hattie sort of have their dream of wanting to live next door to each other that comes true. Pepper seems really happy. She and Gideon, as you said, have this big family, and it is very satisfying as a reader, I think, to read an epilogue like this because especially yeah. after like such a punishing journey that these characters have had, they're like, oh, okay, you know, they ended up pretty great and one of my favorite things about the book overall was just the sense of community and you mentioned that briefly before they seem like as miserable as it is they're finding ways to have a good time like the fact that every night they do campfires and they do dancing and there's like fiddle players and there's all these relationships starting you have to imagine that when they settle in this new town some of that continues and it is cool that you're like building a neighborhood with these people that you already have a familiarity with and the fact that they continued to have that sense of community even as all these terrible things happened like all of these children died Hattie accidentally poisons a bunch of kids and they die really early on the fact that those parents were able to like forgive her and to continue to look her in the eye I mean it's interesting to think about now because we just don't deal with those kinds of stakes in our daily life we would very rarely find ourselves in a position to like have to forgive somebody like that or have to like Mm -hmm. continue to look somebody in the eye when something like that happens to our immediate family so that is also sort of powerful and like very foreign to me like if somebody accidentally killed a member of my family, even if they were just trying to do something nice and like trying to fulfill their chore or whatever, which is all that Hattie was trying to do. It was like her night to make dinner and she accidentally put hemlock in a salad or a soup or something. I don't think that I could ever be around them again. And something about the fact that these families are like trying to take care of each other, I guess makes it easier for them to do that. It's it's hard for me to
1: fathom though. Yeah, same here. I'm not, I don't easily forgive. So I probably... I hold grudges for, like I just thought, i told, we have a cat and he's, he's such a, he's such a brat. I'm like, I'm the ice queen. I'm icing you out for at least two days. (laughs) And I can't, I couldn't imagine being in a position where I've lost my children and the person at the hands of someone who even if it was accidentally, like I have to see every day and I just, I just forgive them. You know, it's like, they don't really deal with, The things that happened on the trail, you know, the twins getting lost, all the deaths that happened. It's kind of like, oh, it happened and we just got, we just got to keep moving. So I I don't know if I could let go that easily. But Hattie um, was forgiven and she, at the end of the book, I think she forgives the klepto for stealing the stuff. And I think that was kind of like, you know, a good bow on top of, you know, her relationship with the klepto. Because I think her first, you know, interaction with someone who has done something that, she knows is wrong but I don't think she ever tells Ma that she stole from from them no she never tells yeah and so not holding that secret and then at the end being you know would turn out to be like you know I forgive you I think is something we also don't see in children that young
0: yeah and as as nice as it was I guess to see her forgive like you I don't forgive very easily I did love that she had like such conviction about the klepto like the whole book and I think too often kids authors want their characters to like be forgiving and kind from the Mm get-go and Hattie was not like that like she had a strong feeling about the klepto and she was like you know I I don't mind sharing with people but I don't like being taken advantage of and for a 13 year old to like have that opinion so fiercely I thought was very cool the one thing that I I am I'm happy it turned out like this but I wonder if you had any thoughts I didn't remember enough about like the plot itself of this book to come back to it now. So I, I couldn't remember like if Hattie's sort of nuclear family made it through in one piece. I was shocked that they did. I mean I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that nothing bad happened to her parents or her aunt. I feel like theirs was the only family that was not totally devastated on the trail itself. They had obviously been through their share of problems before with the two sisters dying, but I can't believe that nothing happened. I thought that something was maybe going to happen to Aunt June or to the baby. Like, my my prediction was that something would happen there. And I, like, kept waiting,
1: and nothing ever happens to her family. Were you looking for that, too? Yeah, I honestly. Like, as much as Hattie talked about, you know, being afraid that it was going to be an Indian attack, I thought that, you know, they would have, like, had one and some they they would have died or they didn't make it to Oregon honestly I did not think that Ma and Pa were gonna make it at all as as frustrated and angry as Ma was with having to leave I just really honestly thought that she was just gonna like say bye deuces like I am out like I can't be with you anymore but I was happy that everything everybody seemed to you know be in one piece you know like the closer we got to Oregon I'm like Something's going to happen. I was waiting for some big something. I don't know what I wanted it to be or what I thought it was going to be. But I just thought that if not all of them going to die, that one of them wanted to die. And I don't remember the ending at all from when I was younger. So going into it, I'm like, I'm prepared. This is how I go into any book now. I'm prepared to be like brutally gutted by the end of the book. What I think is going to happen is not going to happen. And there's going to be an ending that I don't see. And I'm going to be so devastated by it this didn't happen like after they've gotten through all the trail and all the things that they've gone through the things that they've seen it was it was fun and I was like is this it yeah that was it like you know like <laughs> is, is this it you yeah. know um so it was kind of a it was a letdown in in the way that you know I think I, I love books that give me that twist that I just wasn't seeing in that way but I was happy that at the end of the book they got to the destination and Everything was okay.
0: Yeah, everything was fine. So on the whole, I know you didn't love this book when you were a kid. How has this reading experience as an adult compared to that one? Did you like it any more? Are you sort of, like, agreeing with your kid
1: self who wrote that book report? My kid didn't know anything, so I'm not even going to listen to her. But I— <laughs> I didn't love the book, but I enjoyed it. Um, The beginning of it started a little slow for me. And then the whole dramatic scene about the coffin kind of just threw me through a loop. And I was, you know, I didn't really go into the rest of the book with any expectations. So it was easy for me to kind of absorb what was happening a lot easier. I wanted the ending to be a little little more than what it was. But overall, I I enjoyed the book for what it was. Um, Again, it made me want to learn more about The Oregon Trail because I don't remember learning anything about it in school. So I've been just like Googling and researching the Oregon trail and it's just, I think being able to tie a book back to a certain part of history is always so refreshing. So that part of it, I did like, and again, I did like the epilogue. And now that you mentioned it about not really having like read books with epilogues like this, I don't ever think I've read a book outside of this has had an epilogue. Hmm. So that was kind of, you know, a little fun bit for me because again, when you don't get an ending that kind of ties it all up for you, having that little part at the end, you know, with having everyone's story um, with Gideon and Pepper being married and their kids and, you know, Hattie finally got her husband. It was kind. Of, it was a nice touch. So overall, I would say I enjoyed the book. Didn't love, but I enjoyed it. well i'm glad this experience has
0: redeemed it just a little bit (laughs) um other than this book what have you been reading lately and enjoying that you would recommend to our listeners it doesn't have to be kids or ya it can just be anything that you've been especially loving
1: right now i'm reading all over the place because i just don't know what i'm in the mood for the one book that i just finished um was in the dream house by carmen Machetto. that book was absolutely amazing and I plan on rereading it. Um, if you're into nonfiction, um, really pick that one up. But also, I'm really into thriller. So I'm a Stephen King junkie and Jeffrey Deaver. So I have a bunch of books that I have not read on my shelf by then that I plan on getting to. Um, but one book that I think anybody should read if they haven't is A Sunflower by um, Simon Wiesenthal and... Bonnie Fetterman. It's about like uh, a Nazi asking for forgiveness for his crimes um, and he wants absolution from a Jew and it's absolutely phenomenal and I've read that book probably like 16 times in my life.
0: Wow, I've never read it. I'll have to check it out. That sounds really important and powerful. I'll include links to that and to your other recommendations in the show notes for this episode plus a link to Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie. I actually got a used copy that seems like it used to be like a school library book so it has all these like fun stamps and stickers on it. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Um, it was really great coming back to Dear America with you. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you for having me, Allie. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast.